This podcast is supported by Patreon. You can support it at patreon.com slash toadsanime to listen to the next episode before it releases. Alternatively, spend it on something more important, like donating to a museum. Hello and welcome to another episode of Toad on Games. You get the toad and you put it on some games <laughs> and that's that's how it works. Some toad on some games. Um, with us today, we have the very lovely Connor Clark. Hello, 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 hello. Hello, 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 hello. And do you want to tell everyone who, in the sweet name of God, you are and what who? you do? Oh, so, uh, so yes, so um, I am um, just a, a guy, really, just a dude who, who works for a video game museum. Um, and in particular, the National Video Game Museum, which is in Sheffield. Um, and I do basically marketing and comms and related stuff there. Um, I'm that kind of department, I suppose. Cool. And so as we record this, obviously we're on lockdown at the moment. And uh, I've seen posts from you guys and people talking about you guys trying to basically keep you funded during all of this, um, mm-hmm. which is terribly important. And if mm-hmm. anyone is able to help with that, please do so. Uh, it's an mm-hmm. incredibly important service. Um so what is actually, I guess you guys just can't do anything at the moment. Yeah, so so we're kind of, um, we're a new museum, right? And I think that's kind of inevitable when you're, in, you're a video game museum, right? Because it's, 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 it's a new medium. But we're actually, yeah. we only kind of officially fully opened in November 2018. So what's that, like, what, 18 months ago, 19 months ago? Um, yeah. And that has meant that we are still in kind of this, these processes of kind of getting ourselves up off the ground, um, essentially, because we, we, we've not had the chance to kind of get into proper kind of, you know, public funding schemes or kind of get any kind of governmental funding. We're totally reliant on either kind of private patronage from the video games industry, which has been really kind of helpful. Um, but mostly, really, most of our funds come in from kind of people visiting the museum, right? And buying a ticket to come and kind of see all the kind of video game history we've got on display and play all the games that we have in the museum. Um, sure. Now, when, or I think it was, about, it was about a week before, about a week and a half before the lockdown, you know, things were getting a bit kind of, you know, pe- people were increasingly aware of this virus and the kind of the um, pandemic that was going to happen. And we realized that we're a video game museum and people, we invite people to come into our museum and pick up a controller, right? Pick up a SNES controller or a Nintendo 64 controller or a PlayStation controller. And then they play a game and then they move off it and someone else comes and picks it up. And there's a lot of contact. There's a lot of very, it's a very physical museum. So we were worried because, you know, uh, what we did not want to do is play any part in kind of spreading this virus. We did not want anybody that may have the virus and not known to come to the museum pick up a controller and then that kind of, um, you know, infects someone else. That, 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 that would have been horrible uh, for us really. Um, and for the kind of the people that obviously, that obviously might have contracted at the museum. So we made the decision to close voluntarily. We said, let's just, um, you know, close our shutters until we know it's safe to reopen. We are not going to be kind of allowing anyone in the doors. Um, which was a kind of a very scary decision for us. Cause that's, you know, 70, 80% of our kind of income gone straight out. Um, and then the lockdown happened. So that happened afterwards anyway. So we would have had to do it anyway. Um, so yeah, so the lockdown happened and we kind of we were forced to close. And we, we still don't know as of time of recording when that lockdown is going to be eased, eased up, right? And when we're going to be able to reopen. So we realized that this was going to become a problem for us very quickly. Um, because if we can't afford kind of our upkeep costs, whether that's kind of, you know, staffing costs, but also rent costs and kind of, you know, um, looking after our collection and you know that kind of stuff if we can't continue to afford that then that could be the end of the museum you know only 18 months after we first opened so we uh launched a fundraising campaign we launched a just giving page um along with actually there's there's quite a few independent museums that are really struggling in the same way and we have been inundated with so many brilliant people that have donated money to kind of to kind of help us help keep us going through this. You know, we know that we are absolutely not a priority for a lot of people at the moment. And if even if people that might be able to donate some money, you know, donate it to people that are going to go out there and save lives. You know, we're not necessarily going to, you know, doing that. But if people are able, then please do see if you can kind of, you know, support uh, the preservation of uh, what we believe is our kind of, you know, cultural heritage. Um, 
But I actually have some good news as well on that front because uh, we have had a lot of, as well as kind of, you know, hundreds of people donating um, kind of on a grassroots level, we've actually had some video game industry, video game companies uh, get involved as well. And last week we uh, were really happy to announce kind of new patronage from quite a few companies, including Jagex, who make RuneScape, uh, Rockstar Games, who uh, have made this small game you might have heard of called Grand Theft Auto. And, um, and uh, you know, and, and, and I think we had um, Embracer Group as well, which is kind of THQ Nordic, but the other THQ Nordic, if you know about those. Um, so yeah, so we've had to kind of, you know, and they, they've all kind of donated money and we have now um, actually beaten our initial fundraising target. And currently our Just Giving page is sitting at £130,000, which is amazing um, and just absolutely fantastic that we've kind of seen that support. So we're now looking forward to reopening um, and kind of getting plans in place for that. Grand. Uh, yeah, that's really great news to hear that uh, you got the support from from public and developers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah obviously awesome stuff because I think we touch upon it just before we start recording this, but mm. I have always cared a great deal about video game preservation, mm-hmm. about video game history. As you mentioned, I think it's part of our culture and it's important that we preserve that and mm-hmm. allow that to be seen by the public. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's an incredibly important service. Um, and hopefully it will be around for many years. Yeah. That, or, yeah. We, we hope so as well. Like our, our, our tagline is uh, video games for everyone forever. You know, we want to do as best we can to kind of keep this medium um, preserved and alive and still running. And it's difficult and there are a lot of challenges, as I'm sure we'll touch on. Um, But but yeah, but what's been really great is to kind of see industry kind of really kind of actually step up and and recognize the importance of saving their own history as well. Because I think that's something that is probably a... um, something you could say about the industry is that it has historically not really cared about its totally. own history, you know? Um, yeah. Incredibly sad to see. Yeah. 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 So do you, so do you, have you seen that happening then? Have you seen um, an effect on video game developers and publishers that you talk to recognizing that their own history actually is important and should be preserved? Mm, yeah, for sure. For sure. It's, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's a new thing. It's not, you know, it's it's something that's kind of uh, past couple of years or so that you've definitely seen certain developers basically say, wow, we've got a fantastic history here. Oh, no, where is it? <laughs> you know, and having like, yeah. you know, it's in someone's attic somewhere. Um, so, you know, it, 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 we've had we have had developers come and approach us um, basically saying like, you know, w- we need your help. We need your help, like to help find these stories and preserve these stories. Um I'm trying to think if there's any names I can mention to kind of give you an example, but <laughs> I think I think um, I don't think Sega will mind. So Sega, maybe you know, have said like we've got a bunch of history. Um, you know, we want kind of we want your help in essentially kind of preserving this stuff and kind of um, just yeah, just say, saving it and, and and rediscovering it all because a lot of this stuff is usually somewhere, but it's mm-hmm. in a cardboard box in a warehouse or you know hidden or hidden somewhere. Um, you just need to go and find it. Um, but then obviously there's also the case that they don't have anything and or they've saved over something like the whole the Square Enix saving over Final Fantasy VIII rumor thing. Like that that does not surprise me in the slightest. I'm sure that's definitely <laughs> happened for plenty yeah. of games. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the issue really. Sort of historically, I think when we look way back at the 70s, 80s and even further beyond that, there was sort of this general consensus that video games weren't going to be what they are now that they weren't mm-hmm. going to be a major entertainment medium alongside movies and tv and music mm-hmm. and that it was just a quick thing to quickly make money off of and then maybe it would disappear mm-hmm. so even looking back at like arcade cabinets like people would just update old shells with the new mm-hmm. game instead of making whole new shells for each game um game code was written over or um erased entirely uh you know when you hear about some remakes or remasters that release sometimes they'll need to do it from the ground up simply because the original game doesn't exist anymore um i think the kingdom hearts remaster uh for 1.5 hd remix mm-hmm. um they literally had to go into a store and buy <laughs> a copy of their game to then sort of try and go back from there because the code the code isn't sat around for that game anymore mm-hmm. um 
and then that's that's neglecting stuff like the concept art that's neglecting stuff like um marketing material mm-hmm. um that should be preserved uh yeah we as an industry are historically terrible with preservation and mm. i would i'd be very pleased to hear that uh companies are starting to change in regards mm. to that and it, um, it's it's going to be a long process you know there's still this idea of i think it's it's a supersession is the kind of the, the 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 word for it the kind of you know what is the best game it's the next game right you know and playstation yes. 5's around the corner and games are going to be so much better on playstation 5 you know you have to buy the playstation 5 to play the best games right but if kind of video games are to you know evolve as an art form or you know be recognized as an art form which they very much are anyway but they have to be able to kind of um, think of games as kind of actual products that just, just just are timeless, right? And are not as ephemeral as they have been treated historically. So um, yeah, yeah. I mean, but it, 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 it's it's on its way. It's on its way, definitely. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, being the ever pessimist, I sort of look at where we're heading, which appears to be like subscription based mm-hmm. services um like streaming subscription-based services and that worries me a little bit in terms Mm -hmm. of sort of video game ownership and preservation in general Mm -hmm. um when you look at really popular examples like the scott pilgrim video game Mm. that is gone (laughs) you can't get that anymore Mm -hmm. because it was up on digital storefronts and now it's disappeared um i just worry that we may end up approaching a point where that becomes commonplace sure i think next gen playstation and xbox their focus are going to be on their um, subscription-based platforms. Mm-hmm. I, I think for Xbox especially, they don't really seem to care about Xbox Series X sales. I'm sure they care on some level, but mm-hmm. their main target is um, subscribers to uh, um, uh, to their... Oh my gosh, what is, what is it even called? Game Pass. Um, Game Pass. Subscribers to Game Pass. So that's like their main goal. And that's sensible because it's, it's such a moneymaker mm-hmm. and it doesn't need to be restricted in, onto one piece of hardware. They can use it on PC. They can theoretically expand that onto other gaming platforms in the future. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it makes business sense, but it worries me if that becomes the focus, um, which is, at this point seems inevitable. And then yeah. we'll have like the Netflix problem of things appearing on there and then licenses ending and them disappearing. Um, and for film, that's a little bit easier to preserve those even through a medium like Netflix than mm-hmm. video games. Mm-hmm. Um, so it worries me. It worries me. I, I hope we're progressing, but um, I think big companies like that, ultimately um, the, the, the profit of what their investors and their shareholders care about. Um, so it will never necessarily be a focus, but yeah, yeah. hopefully. I think what, what subscription services do, I think kind of what you, touching upon is that you you lose all context of games right you know when you when you when you have a a playstation 2 game for example you've got that kind of maybe there's the there's the nostalgic context of that i remember buying one from game station back in the day buying jack and daxter from game station back in the day and opening up and having the map and that's you know um there's that context to when i'm playing that game but when something is just kind of streamed on any platform whether it's pc or xbox or you you just straight to your tv right with sadio something like that um, it, it, it's difficult, it's more difficult to find that context um, mm. of, of, of whether it's historically or, 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 or what. So, yeah, yeah. You, you might be interested to hear, though, one of the things that might, it might kind of, um, I don't know if it's, dis- disappoint you is the right word, but we collect a lot of things at the museum. Right? So we, we, we don't just feel like it's, we need to collect the game. Right, even though you know games are at the core of, uh, of what video game culture is, but we feel like we need to collect all the merchandise and ephemera and you know um, mm. all these different kind of bits that kind of surround and make up game culture. One of the things we're not too bothered about collecting is source code, is the actual the original sure. source code, and the reason it's if we don't we're not you know we're not too invested in collecting that and preserving that is because it is so incredibly caught up in legal and IP issues that it is incredibly difficult to. And like it's 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 very time consuming and costly um to kind of start preserving this stuff. And usually those resources can be better put somewhere else in preserving sure. kind of, uh, different kind of histories and uh, context of video game. So that's one thing that is 
is particularly it's it, it, it's it's particularly difficult. Um, and there are there are organisations that are you know lobbying um, a lot of people, um, a lot of policymakers to kind of make it much easier. Uh, EGF AMP are a European group that are really good at that. Um, but for now, like that stuff is a bit less of a priority for those reasons I said. Yeah, that makes sense. So your your priority is very much just keeping. Do you keep copies of games? Is that something that's some that yeah. you do, or is it just the okay? So and, and then also the marketing material and anything that's culturally relevant mm-hmm. to gaming. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like the stuff that surrounds games, right? Because you know, sure. One of the things we kind of one of the uh, the the questions we need to ask ourselves when we're kind of collecting and preserving games is at a core level, what is a video game? Right? Is it just a, a collection of noughts and zeros and ones, right, um, that make up the data, or is it the box of the game? Is it the development art of the game? Is it the kind of creative, app, you know, uh, creative core of the game? Is it the fan art of the game? You know, games aren't just this kind of um, this the, the one single product. They're actually made up, and the kind of the, the zeitgeist and the kind of culture around them is made up of a bunch of different things that are sometimes more at risk of being lost than the actual game code, right? You know, em- em- yeah. Emulators can, for a lot of retro games, emulators can pretty much near perfectly kind of recreate games on lots of different platforms. So that kind of core gameplay experience might actually be easier to preserve. It's not easy, but easier to preserve than something like the instruction booklet for a game or the box sure. for a game. So, yeah. Yeah, you're right. And I think that sort of stuff is important and it's not necessarily something that is at the forefront of everyone's minds right now. Like I feel Mm. like there is a small subsection of people um, in the community that care about this stuff deeply. Mm -hmm. Um, But ultimately the larger bubble of gaming um, on the mainstream level, your average Joe probably isn't going to care, which Mm. is a shame. Mm. Um, But the way I've always seen it is that, you know, 20 30 40 years from now um a you want to be able to think about a game that you enjoyed and play it again mm-hmm. or show it to your kid mm-hmm. and um b as you say once once gaming continues to evolve and and specific games influence other games and the culture grows it's important to look back and see mm-hmm. little time stamps of that culture you know it's mm-hmm. just like it's just like any other thing that you would pop in a museum and and focus on preserving um for sure for sure yeah, i think a lot, a lot of the stuff we might do at the museum I and mean, i think our trustee gina jackson said it said it really well is that it isn't necessarily out of this kind of nostalgia a lot of the, you know the lot of preservation stuff we do it isn't necessarily for the nostalgia or for the kind of um to kind of make sure we can cling on to that history it's actually out of a concern for the future right so for like future game makers if they want to kind of make the next big game they've got to be able to learn from history, right? Learn from what other people have done before. So yeah. it's a lot of what we want to do is, is like you said, it's it's in 20, it's for, for, for those in 20, 30 years time, or even even longer than that. Yeah, totally. Um, so where do you manage to get all of these materials? So do you, do, do people donate stuff or do you go out and speak to developers and publishers and try and get things from them? Or, or is it, as you said earlier, literally just, finding people that have things in their attics or where, where does all this stuff come from? Oh, probably a lot, all, all of the above, I suppose, like, yeah. you know, every which way we can kind of, kind of collect things. A lot of the things we get are, are donated and collected. Um, but we do have to be careful about what we collect because we have, we did once. So the history of the organization is a bit longer than 2018. And we've actually been collecting stuff for quite a bit longer than that. Um, and we used to have kind of an open donation policy. So if you wanted to preserve a couple of, you know, if you want to preserve some of your kind of video games, please do donate them to us. But when we had it a bit open, we ended up getting about 100 copies of FIFA 08. And uh, it's not that too too useful from a preservation side to have so many copies of FIFA 08. Um, yeah. But yeah, so we, we get them from all sorts of different ways. Um, a lot of them are donations. Um, it, it, going to kind of some of the older developers and kind of getting their stories and getting kind of some of their objects is brilliant. Um the Oliver Twins are two kind of 8-bit game designers, famous 8-bit game designers that made the Dizzy series. 
and they are brilliant. They have so much stuff in their attic and they've donated so much stuff to the museum. But also importantly, they donate their stories to the museum. Um, you know, we, so we can actually kind of sit down and interview them and ask them about what it was like to create a fruit machine simulator for the Amiga, you know, and we can kind of talk about that. Um, and that's one of the big perks, actually, about video game history, being it with it being so relatively contemporary as opposed to ancient history. Um, you can actually talk to the people that made this stuff. So, yeah, a lot of it, like like that a lot of you know um but then we get things in weird ways as well so um i, I i'll tell you one story about a, a a tweet that i made from the national video game museum's twitter account um i was kind of we have a section in our museum that's called the lab and it's all about development kits and kind of making your own game and there are places you can sit down and actually start coding your own game and designing your own game which is really cool um, mm -hmm. And we also have like these cabinets that are full of old development kits, whether it's like the Dolphin for the Nintendo GameCube, right? Or um, we have like an, the, the big Xbox. I don't know if you've seen like the green see-through Xbox debug kit. It's really cool. Yeah, um, I love yeah. all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got we've got like a few bunches of those, and we have some massive PlayStation Two development kits as well. Um, and I tweeted one um, and. Riffing off of the Museum of English Rural Life, I tweeted, you know, absolute unit, look at the size of this lad, that kind of thing. Because um, they are, they're massive, the PS2 <laughs> development kits. And yeah. I tweeted it, and it had a picture of a little sticker from where it was from, and it's from Free Radical, which are a Nottingham-based game studio. And I got a tweet back after about half an hour of it being up, saying, oh, is this from Free Radical? Does that mean it was one of the PlayStation kits that was stolen? Now, I, I panicked, right? <laughs> I saw this and I was like, what? I didn't realize there were any PlayStation 2 development kits that got stolen. Um, and the person that tweeted this was an old developer. He used to work for Free Radical. Uh, and essentially what happened was is that somebody broke into the Free Radical offices, stole a bunch of stuff, including some PS2 development kits, and they were never caught. They never found the stuff. Um, so because this was one of those, we were worried that it might have been a bit of, you know, it might have been stolen material. So then I kind of went and chatted to the kind of the curation team and the collection team and said, oh, I've got this funny tweet. Um, I need to respond accurately. Um, how do I respond to someone asking if this is a stolen PlayStation 2 development kit? And I said, you know, where, where, where is it from? Can you tell me where it's from? And is it stolen? And they said, well, not exactly. <laughs> so I'm panicking even more now thinking, oh, no, we've got stolen stuff in the museum. <laughs> Um, yeah. you know, not exactly. That's not the answer I wanted to hear. But it turns out that actually we found that PlayStation 2 development kit in a dumpster. So um, outside of the back of Free Radical. So essentially they've <laughs> done with it. They've thrown it in the bin and we essentially dumped the dive and took it out. And we've since, yeah. we've since, you know, talked to the people at Free Radical um, and the people that kind of work there. Well, it's not Free Radical anymore. It became Crytek. Um, and, you know, it's all, it's, it's all fine now, but that's where we originally got that PlayStation 2 development kit was straight out of a bin. Um, and it was not one of the stolen ones. So the stolen ones still are around somewhere, apparently. So, yeah, so we it, it, to answer your question, I suppose, going back to your question, um, we get all our stuff from a bunch of different places and each one of them has their own story, um, which is always good to tell as well. I am... Um... I'm sure that some that someone found that in the dumpster and gave it to you or something. But I love the idea that you guys are like, right, it's dumpster diving Tuesday. Which studios <laughs> bins are we going to visit today? You just pop over to, oh, let's check Rare's bins. Oh, look, there's some banjo kazooie artwork here. Oh, I bet there, um, I bet there was, you know, I bet there was. I bet there I bloody did. was. <laughs> oh. Um, but yeah, I guess that just that goes to show as well, like the things that people don't really necessarily think of any importance whatsoever and it's just in the bin they go yep um yeah i'm sure god knows how much stuff is just thrown away mm. well um, it, was, it was it was just it was this it's the social thing wasn't it like you know uh we are able to talk to the developers um and the kind of you know the bedroom developers of the 70s and 80s and a lot of them are talking yeah. about how they you know they they, they were making these games because they had a passion for it but they there was a, a, a social zeitgeist there that that, that it wasn't it was it was the waste of time and uh, what are you bothering with that kind of entertainment medium for, which is mm -hmm. obviously the total kind of polar opposite to what it is today. Well, not exactly, but but yeah, we, we I think I think the cultural value of video games is 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 wildly different in 2020 than it was in 1980. For the starters, they weren't in lockdown in the 80s. So. Exactly. Yes. Oh, what a huge difference. 
how, 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 how it's shown, right? How important video games are and, you know, Animal Crossing, how much that has kept people sane. It's definitely kept me sane. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. Yeah, well, I think I've already put about 200 hours into that. So that's <laughs> definitely normal and lovely. Um, but yeah, even stuff like, so when you say that you guys will preserve um, sort of culturally relevant things as well, is that mm. for specific titles or will you... F- just as an example, mm-hmm. be collecting things that are relevant to the lockdown gaming culture. Mm-hmm. So sort of a more, more, more general stories that aren't necessarily tied to specific titles. Mm. Um, so, I mean, d- definitely those kind of, we're not, we're not kind of specifically aiming for certain titles, you know, not unless we are planning on doing a deep dive exhibition into, you know, uh, elite, for example. Um, sure. But yeah, I think it's 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 definitely more broader. We have to kind of be very careful about what we have the capacity to collect and what we have the capacity to do because video games are massive. I mean, how how many video games get released on Steam a day? It's it's, it's like hundreds, yeah. right? It's it's crazy. If if we wanted to collect kind of a game and a bit of context around it for every game that's released on Steam, like it's just, that's a, it's a massive massive project. So we have to kind of be careful about what we can do and what kind of other people are doing as well, um, because that's one of the yes, that's right. one of the, 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 what we've called one of the driving or the biggest problems in video game preservation as a kind of idea is this lack of coordination, the lack of kind of people actually effectively working together in complementary ways to preserve lots of things. So there are, there are, there are quite a few video game preservation organizations out there. Um, mm-hmm. And there's quite a few uh, number of museums that also kind of collect video games as well. Um, but having everyone kind of on the same page about how to collect and what to collect um isn't hasn't been done yet um we're, we're trying to do that um and in, in, in a slight plug we do have a video game heritage society that launched like back in february um but but yeah that's got a long way to go um oh i've time I've gone totally so far away from the question that i can't even remember um okay yeah but like stories around <laughs> I don't even remember. <laughs> so yes yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's absolutely worth kind of looking at that. And like, you know, I think, I think I saw a tweet the other day that someone said, like, you know, Animal Crossing is going to have the impact that Pokemon Go had, right, in 2016. Sure. You remember, remember the yeah. summer of 2016 when everyone was playing Pokemon Go? It was crazy. It was. I haven't really ever seen anything like that in terms of the video game industry. It was, mm. it was nuts. I remember just like, well, I remember at two o'clock in the morning walking to a church in Leeds because there was a Pokestop there. And just meeting up with two random people, totally friendly, and just like, you know, uh, having a chat about what team we were on. And that's just, that's weird, right? I wouldn't do that on any other day at two o'clock in the morning, just go to a church with two random yeah. people. Like it was, it, it well, was, that was, um, yeah. It was crazy. I was working in uh, Canary Wharf at the time because mm-hmm. I was working full time at the Mirror. And so you would come out at lunch and all these businessmen in suits massive crowds of them would be crowding around playing Pokemon. And these will be people that haven't played video games, if mm-hmm. at all, at least since like the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was this huge, weird cultural thing. And I have kind of been seeing a little bit of that with Animal Crossing, you know, mm-hmm. lots of celebrities that have never engaged with gaming, at least publicly in any way whatsoever. And you see them tweeting about Animal Crossing and, and about turnip prices and stuff. And it's a bit <laughs> weird yeah yeah for sure but i mean that's 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 kind of i think that's going to happen more and more isn't it how it bleeds into kind of more yeah um more popular or kind of broader uh culture i suppose um but yeah but yeah it's it's so i think tracking those kind of stories and looking at how you know the impact that animal crossing might have had um for this lockdown period i think would be absolutely fascinating um We've not got a collection program for that at the moment, um, but I do know that the Science Museum are doing sure. some really cool stuff. And there's a couple of other museums that are beginning to kind of, I think the British Museum is kind of inviting people to send their stories of lockdown because it's going to be a, it's going to be, a, you know, the story of the lockdown is going to be something that we're going to be telling for the next gen, you know, few generations. So. Mm-hmm. So I find it interesting that you said that there isn't really a, a kind of unified community of preservationists in mm-hmm. museums like yourself. Like you're not really, currently at least, you're not really talking to mm-hmm. one another, mm-hmm. um, which is a, is a shame. I understand why that hasn't been set up yet. 
Um, but it would be nice, of course, mm. because then it means that you can all be focusing on different points and making sure that you, mm. you know, if someone's out there and has already got all the Pac-Man marketing material and all the original <laughs> content on that sort of stuff that you can focus on something else. And um, yeah, I mean, preservation is a group, it's a group effort. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely cool that there are multiple museums and multiple people working on this sort of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. We need to get, we need to get them all together in a room. We do. We need a fellowship, a fellowship of the yeah. uh, of the games. So yeah, um, but like, so we've got we we we're tr we're trying to do that with the um, mm. the video game heritage society, and it's it's in museum terms, it's called a uh, subject specialist network, which is essentially getting a, a group of people together and saying like, this is best practice, right? This is how um, these are the questions you need to consider when you want to collect or preserve this stuff, uh, and this is how is best to preserve it and. You know, um, this museum over here is really good at doing this stuff. That museum is there, really, do, really good at doing that stuff. If you want to do that stuff, go chat to that museum, right? And acting as that kind of um, middle person and just kind of, you know, linking everything up. Um, so we are kind of doing that. And what's one thing I, I, I really like about the, 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 the VHS is its, is its acronym, which was definitely chosen on purpose. Um, <laughs> but what I really like about the, the, the VHS is that it's not just about organizations. It's about private collectors too and we're kind of totally open about who wants to kind of join and join our forums and kind of join come along to our events we might do um because we are aware that however however big our collection is and we do have a bunch of stuff that's it's currently stored at the university of nottingham um our collection probably pales in comparison to some private collectors there are private collectors in games that have so much stuff like it's 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 absolutely crazy. Like the the big one um, that we got a lot of kind of uh, a lot of people talked to us about was the Nintendo PlayStation, right? I'm sure you, you came across this thing. Definitely. The, yeah, the the Super NES CD-ROM. Um, so obviously that thing was bought by a private collector. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Um, so you know, there, and there there are other private collectors that have a bunch of kind of crazy stuff as well, um, and crazy amounts of stuff. So. So, so yeah, but we, we, what we want to do is that, you know, we, we're not, we're not asking them that they want to kind of, oh, give, give us all your stuff because they're not going to want to. Right. And we, we, we want them to keep their collection as well, but we want to make sure that if they are going to collect stuff, you know, and they do want to learn about how to preserve it, that we can point them in the right direction and we can kind of offer them right. assistance to do that. So, um, cause we are kind of doing a lot of research around that as well. So hopefully we like to think of ourselves as relative experts in that field um, mm -hmm. so that we can kind of pass that expertise on. Um, yeah, that's really important, as you say, sort of teaching people really about preservation in, as well. Mm. Um, on the, as you brought it up, the Nintendo PlayStation mm. thing, um, that was something I was particularly very interested in and mm. engaged with. Um, so I... Um, Oh gosh, how long ago was it? Maybe a year, two years ago. I was originally in conversation with the owner mm -hmm. about setting. I was going to set up a crowdfund oh. to purchase it from them, cool, um, and then donate that to a museum. Yep, that was what I wanted to happen because oh, I heard that he was cool. looking. I heard that he was looking for someone to purchase it, mm -hmm. and you know, I was talking with him for a while. Um. And he was saying about how he brings it around to loads of events around mm -hmm. the world. Mm -hmm. um, I think his aim in doing that was so that uh, he would just find a buyer that would go, oh, 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 wow. Mm -hmm. I'll give you two million for this, mate. Which obviously <laughs> is never going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, it, you know, kind of, unfortunately, I'm sure it got a little bit touched up and damaged and stuff as, as he's doing this. And he spent an awful mm -hmm. lot of money traveling the world showing off. But at least it was shown off, which is cool. Mm. Um, and he, he did allow he did allow everyone to kind of get in the guts of it as well, and kind of totally yeah. copy. So we know how it works, which is you know a really good good point. And I think they even they even fixed it a little bit, didn't they? Because the CD ROM drive didn't yes. didn't work. Um, yes, I can't remember who it was that he sent it off to, but uh, a, a YouTuber or someone that's well known for repairing mm. stuff had a look at it and repaired it, and that was really great. Mm. Um, unfortunately, he um, the amount that he wanted <laughs> was obscene yeah it was um, figures, right? it was, i think yeah. that he had turned down an offer what he told me is he had turned down an offer from someone in uh i believe it was the netherlands i might be wrong norway or the netherlands somewhere mm -hmm. um for um like 1.2 million Ooh. something like that he turned down an offer for that and so ref and and 
he and his mates, his mates had virtually convinced him that mate, that's worth two million. That don't sell for <laughs> anything less. And so he would not part with it mm. for less than two million. And it was completely unrealistic for me to crowdfund two to three million. So yeah. I ended up having to drop it, which was a massive heartbreak for me, especially that in the long run, when he did eventually take it to private auction, it sold for um, like 200,000, 200,000. I can't remember the exact amount, but yeah, it was something like that. Tiny amount yeah. compared to, and I could have crowdfunded that. I could have crowdfunded that <laughs> amount. So it's, uh, um, it's, it, I mean, look, there's, there's always the possibility that it wasn't, you know, it's not the only one. It's the only one we know of, but there were 200 yes. made, I think. So there's the possibility that it's still in, there is still a few copies in someone's loft somewhere, um, which would be kind of great. I mean, it, it, a lot of people asked us about it, like, you know, here, this thing's going ahead. It's probably the most mythical video game object I can think of, right? Um, so are you going to buy it or are you going to, you know, um, try and try and you know, try and crowdfund some money to, to kind of purchase it and we were pretty sure. much straight up saying like no no absolutely not because it, it is it is way too it's going to go for way too really budget gone exactly yeah. yeah yeah and we could use that budget to you know um start a new bring bring a hundred schools to the museum to teach them about video games that is for yeah. us way more valuable than just having yeah, an object that uh, is going to go in a glass box and then hopefully some people come to the museum to come see it like yeah yeah doing doing actual kind of productive stuff in our community um and kind of uh increasing games literacy across uk wide is probably way more important in 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 our mission so is that something you do then you have schools come in and you do a lot of educational Hmm? stuff yeah yeah that's 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 definitely the lead thing i think what what i'd say we, we we do um is kind of you know looking to kind of educate the next generation on games and not not just around kind of making games but also kind of enjoying games and appreciating games um mm-hmm. and then maybe one of them thinks oh i really like this game i'm going to draw a character for it and then they learn how to, to draw really well and they become a professional artist not in games brilliant ace you know games are so rich as a as a, mm-hmm. as, as a medium and um as it, it kind of a kind of a, a product that we can use them to kind of teach kids about so much stuff and to teach uh, young people how to code but also kind of how to design but then also kind of how to draw and also how to kind of make music and you know there's such a because it's such a, a a varied medium that kind of um intermedia product and it brings together lots of different kind of different ideas it means you can do so much with it and you can teach kids using games in such a so many cool ways particularly because kids love games right kids play a lot of games that helps so, yep yeah so uh, yeah, so that's we, we we do a lot of that. We have we we had I should say before we closed, um, we had a, a load of schools in um, from kind of Sheffield and even further apart as well. We had some coming all the way from London as well, which is you know three and a half hour drive, which was amazing. Uh, which you know if it, it, it is not is, is for a school trip, that's a long school trip. So we're kind of. I wish know, I was really... having school trips like that to the video game <laughs> museums. My goodness. Yeah, yeah, I know. It would have been great if I was a kid as well, particularly because we invite them all to play. Like, you know, go crazy. We've got a hundred different games you can go play on. Go, you know, play as many as possible. Um, so yeah, that's definitely one thing we want to do. We also do like, um, we also have a dedicated kind of education officer that creates stuff for people coming in the museum casually as well, um, just for like leisure. So we had a, the, the, the closest example I can think of was last February half term we had a pixel art workshop. So we, whilst the museum was open, people would come in and for free, um, our education officer would show them how to draw and animate their own pixel art character. And then we could even import it as like a GIF or as a um, something you can actually put in Game Maker or even in like Scratch or Twine, you know. Um, so stuff like that, I think that's really, nice. really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. That's nice. Hmm. Um, I... I actually haven't even visited you guys yet. I have not. I have not seen the museum. I feel terrible. No, I should. Okay. That's that's fine. That's, okay. we're, that's we're, all right. We 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 will be. I'm just going to press stop now. <laughs> we're uh, we are going to be. Uh, we are putting plans in place for our reopening. We don't, we don't know when it's going to be. Um, of course, because yeah. we're having a look at uh, look at other countries at the moment and seeing like you know what's opening and how are people kind of how are people's exit plans for this? How are government's exit plans for this? Um, yeah. And we thought that we're, we, we know that we are a relatively high risk venue. Um, so, because people are going to be touching the same thing, right? 
Um, mm-hmm. Even though we're quite a large venue and there's oftentimes there's the space between people, which is a good thing for us. Um, there's still that that kind of risk of people touching things um, and touching the same things as other people. So we're going to be very wary about it and we are going to make sure that it's absolutely safe and that we have kind of, you know, um, plans in place to kind of limit any kind of contact between people and, and you know, keep social distancing rules in place. Um, but what it seems like is actually other kind of countries like Spain and Italy are opening up museums first. Muse- museums are kind of some of the first things to open um, so that people can kind of, go out and you know have some time outside of the house yeah exactly so it could be that we open sooner rather than later um i think we'll find out very soon but but yeah we're putting plans in place for kind of you know late summer now um sure um hopefully but 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 if not it'll probably be september yeah cool well whenever whenever it is i will definitely have to pop down um please do i'm happy to give um, you a tour That'd be sweet, yeah. I'd like to check it out for sure. Um, I should have done it sooner, to be honest. Um, cool. Uh, for do you do you collect video games yourself, or 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 is that weird line sort of blurred? You're like, I shouldn't be having this because this should be going into the museum. Because I feel that's how I would be if I were collecting stuff, but also worked at a museum. We we do have a few people at the museum that work at the museum that have like donated their full collection, like but just say oh. like, oh, I've got all this stuff. I never play it anymore. Have it. Um, I've not done that yet. I've not done any of that. Like I'm like, no, nah, my collection <laughs> is my collection. Um, yeah, but that's because I think you know a lot of the stuff. I I I'm not. A it's company. already all there anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I know that you know if if you know the rare stuff I have, like I don't know. I'm trying to think what rare stuff I have, but. I'm trying to have a look at my, my games at the moment uh, whilst I'm sat at my desk. We're like, oh, we've got Pokemon Stadium 2, right? But the PAL version, that's a relatively rare version. It's not really. Um, but I already know that the museum has a copy of that, so I get to keep that one anyway. That's fine. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the stuff that I have in my collection, it's not, it's not comprehensive. I don't have everything. But I have stuff that has a particular importance to me and a particular kind of um, relevance to kind of my personal history. Like, you know, one of my... Um, one of the, you know, my favorite games of all time that's in the news at the moment is is Final Fantasy VII, right? The original one, because that game taught me how sure. to read. Like, like if oh, I, uh, I, really? Okay, pretty much. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Like, you know, look, looking back, like I I started playing that game around about the time I started kind of like properly reading, like you know, the first Harry Potter book and that. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I swear, I swear down that that was the game that taught me how to read and uh, growing up. So that's a really important game for me. So I would like to have a copy of that. You know. For now, and that's it's it's not a rare game. Final Fantasy VII, you know, someone's going to have a copy of that for for ages. But but yeah, I like to keep kind of keep that stuff. I think what I have to be wary of though is that even though um, physical media is kind of a great way, to kind of make sure everyone kind of can have their hands on a product in the way that you won't get with a digital or subscription, as you mentioned earlier. But you know, um, physical media like discs and optical media, for example, um, aren't susceptible to kind of uh erosion so you know yeah they they are they are at risk like you know old i think some people have talked about the the original kind of shelf life for original cds was about 25 30 years or so and mm-hmm. the playstation 1 games probably started to be made around 1994 that's coming up to 30 years or 25 years um so there's a risk that we i don't think there will be not for another i think it's another 10 15 years but there's a risk that kind of disc rot as they call it may start to kind of um, yeah. embed in most people's kind of home collections um but yeah yeah i don't know yeah then we will be hitting an issue i mean thankfully for for consoles like the ps1 ps2 specifically they've all kind of been digitally preserved as yeah. you say through emulators and stuff that's you know, you kind of want to, you kind of want the things to be preserved in their original state mm-hmm. and to be playable on the original hardware and stuff. Mm-hmm. But at least the games aren't going to disappear forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that it's, it's a good point. The disc degradation—it's—it's it's something that comes up to me a lot because I collect, I collect games, mm-hmm. um, both stuff that is uh, important to me personally on, in a sentimental value, mm-hmm. but also just to collect. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's something that has occurred to me. Like I, I've always justified it by, you know, I want to be able to play these in decades to come. And to be honest, you know, I play them so infrequently that I imagine they'll last a lot longer than the the, the average. 
um, <laughs> lifespan for them. But yeah, even even physical media is not eternal. Like it's going to rot. It's no. going to stop working. Mm-hmm. The original hardware is going to die out. And um, so you know, yeah, um, we need to find ways to to get around that sort of stuff. Well, uh, what I really like with you know the um, is because games are getting increasingly kind of digital now there are kind of these companies that um are taking kind of smaller games and making physical versions right like you know um yeah so and they're kind of what i really like about what they do is that they kind of make all the box art and they usually have kind of really cool kind of inserts and stuff in them and kind of stuff around the game that will probably outlast the game um but kind of gives it Mm -hmm. that context in a really kind of cool way so i really like how they do that stuff um so yeah, yeah. I like the the stuff that Digital Eclipse put together. So that's mm-hmm. like the um, the digital art, uh, the the Disney Afternoon collection, mm-hmm. um, the Mega Man Legacy collection. Those mm-hmm. kind of games, like those guys, are doing amazing work because they are doing almost what you're doing, really. Like looking out for the the original marketing material, and they put all that in the original game, mm-hmm. um, and getting lost source code and stuff. And, you know, it's a real passion project for the preservation of it all. Mm -hmm. That sort of stuff is great. Um, As for sort of limited print media, Mm. uh, which I think is probably more along the lines of what you meant, is that Mm -hmm. something that you guys take in at all? Do you collect that sort of stuff or or not? Um, I don't think we have to a certain extent. I think we've taken things um, not comprehensively, you know, not, not not we've not said okay all this limited print stuff we need to kind of make that a kind of priority in our collection um mm-hmm. but we do have kind of bits here and there um as i mentioned it's just one of those kind of focus things like we we are actually a very small yeah. team um we're a small museum so i think there's you know we were yeah there's only about or oh, trying to think six or seven kind of full-time staff with us um and only kind of you know two of those are like, like the, the collection team that kind of focus on the collection two or three so we do have to kind of prioritize what we can collect um sure. of course um it's, you don't it's, have warehouses and warehouses of space either so. no no but i mean but from a video game preservation perspective um we are keenly aware that there are a lot of people that are doing this anyway and that's actually really reassuring because we know that, yes. you know, even if we're unable to collect this stuff, it's highly likely that somebody else will have. And that's actually why um, I probably shouldn't say this from officially from the museum's word. This is this is my opinion. But I re- really like pirates like, you know, um, in that, you know, I'm glad you can... said it. <laughs> <laughs> but they, but they, they, pirates are really good preservationists for video games. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 100%. So, you know, that's why we and we even we do actually even have a cabinet in the museum that is dedicated to the numerous different ways that people pirated games, like from the, <laughs> that's the, cool. the, the, the 80s, 90s. We've got a PlayStation with the uh, blue tack in the corner that you used to put in so you could lift the, the, the PlayStation <laughs> up again. You know, stuff like that. Um, but that is, I think it's a really important part of video game history and how video games are, the, the continuing story of how video games are being preserved as well. Totally, yeah. Um, as you say, it's kind of the um, it's the sort of thing that no one really wants to acknowledge or talk about. Certainly, us in the industry, mm-hmm. but yeah, pi- pirates. If it went for pirates, um, preservation of video games would definitely be much more not different. where it is. Yeah, um, you know, with emulators and stuff, it's 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 in this grey area. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, if it weren't for them, a lot of games simply just wouldn't be around anymore. Especially as when discs end up degrading and stuff. So mm-hmm. hey ho. I'm not looking forward to the day that my PlayStation 4 hard drive finally dies because I have PT on there. Oh, God. And that's my favorite Uh, game of, like, that was one of my favorite games of all time, PT. And, yeah, that's a tricky one to preserve. Yeah, I like it when stuff like that with copies of PT that are on a a PS4 console will go for more on eBay because (laughs) it's listed saying has... PT on it, or um, when Flappy Bird, when that was mm-hmm. huge and it ended up getting delisted, people were selling their mobile phones with it on for like a thousand pounds on eBay. Um, madness for sure, but it, it it shows that like 
when it comes down to it, people really want video games to be preserved, right? They want to be able to kind of have access to this stuff at all times, and they will pay a lot of money to do so. But I, I remember those yeah. stories about Flappy Bird, and they weren't kind of, it wasn't like one or two people were selling their phones. It was like so many people were putting their phones up on eBay or something to try and sell it yeah. with Flappy Bird. I don't Bird. know how many of them sold, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But people were yeah. trying to. <laughs> and there was, there were the, but the, the people do want to kind of keep their, keep their own cultural history kind of preserved because that, that, that that's mm-hmm. what's that's what's great about video games is that because it is such a, a new medium kind of relative to uh literature or to films or to music um mm-hmm. we've seen how you know a lot of people have a lot of kind of attachment to that um and it is it it, it it's super kind of relevant part i think of you know the uk's kind of cultural heritage um let alone people that just play games but also you know the, the kind of the, the right wider world uh, 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 um, in general because like i think one of the one of my favorite items in the museum um one of the things we have is a bottle of lara's aid that was donated by ian livingston um it's unopened the bottle as well so lara's aid if you weren't aware was this kind of uh it was it was it was a rebranding of the energy drink lucas aid but with lara croft on the front um, and this is mm-hmm. kind of the reason I really like it. And the reason it's my favorite is not just because it's been unopened and I really want to open it and taste it. Um, <laughs> but, um, but because it, it signals, it's really kind of a clear way of looking at how video games kind of burst into and had a massive impact on the kind of wider world. Um, and yeah. how that, yeah. that, that we, we talk about video game culture a lot, but it's so intertwined with just kind of general kind of um, culture for people maybe my age or, or, or in general in the UK for the last 30, 40 years. Um, and this was kind of a very clear representation of, the, uh, uh, of that. And that's why, yeah, that's why I really do like that, like that bottle. Yeah. And then they re-released some recently. Mm-hmm. Um, good to see more Lara's aids. I, 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 yeah. I, with... I, I did. I hadn't well, done Lara's aids in like years, but, uh, but well, it's no different. <laughs> no, it's not. No, but not, I, I... oh, that Lara Lucas aid. <laughs> oh, it's got that nice taste. Actually, they did do like a Croft Apple version. Like, uh, I'm just doing Lucas aid marketing right now. Um, <laughs> but they did do a like an Apple version that was limited for the Lara's aids for some reason. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think I it was really bad actually. actually. I remember that was not not very good. Yeah, I don't recall liking it. <laughs> but I got one because it had Lara Croft on it, so I bought it because. <laughs> I'm a moron. For sure, I remember back in back in like you know uh, it was 2001. I think the first Lara's Aid promotion was. Um, right. and I remember like it was. I was I was a kid that kind of adored Tomb Raider three, and it was my little niche subculture, right? And nobody, I didn't mm-hmm. t- I didn't talk about it at school because they'd call me a nerd and stuff like that. Um, but then I could walk into a shop and see Lara Croft, my my idol, right, like on a shelf, and I was like, yes. Yes, this kind of this uh, validates me like, in a certain way, you know. Yeah, totally. And it was um, such a huge campaign. Like there were there was ads in comics, and you know you've got all that marketing material of the the Lara model holding the Lucasade, and it was it was a huge campaign, which was probably unheard of on that level mm. um, at by, the time. By a video game character for sure. Like you know Mario and Sonic and uh, Crash Bandicoot, none of them had the impact I think that Lara Croft had on that kind of. Um, broader culture yeah yeah and it's only going to keep getting bigger i mean it's it seems odd when we when we talk about video game culture we a lot of us will still talk about it as if it is a niche thing mm. when it's bigger than movies it's bigger than music it's bigger than tv shows in terms of, of, of revenue now mm. um so it's only going to keep getting bigger when you know because it is such a young industry still as the years go by and um all of us who have grown up with video games as being an integral part of our culture For sure. when we're older and kind of, you know, the, 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 the main, the older generation in the country, mm. um, it'll be such a huge thing. It would just be like the biggest cultural piece of entertainment. Mm. Um, so it's only going to become bigger. It's only going to become more important. Um, that's why I think it's, that's why we do think it's really important that we let's, let's start capturing those stories now. You know, yeah, um, because yeah. It's, people are going to want to learn from this stuff. They're going to want to look back on this stuff. So yeah, yeah, it's important. And as you said, with the Oliver twins, like taking advantage of the fact that it is so young, and the people that started it are majority mm. of them are still here. Mm. We can still talk to them and still get information from them and uh, hear their stories. Uh, yeah, 
that's mm. all really important. Mm. Um, so on that topic, you um, you're doing sort of a heritage show at the moment, right? You're actually doing so these these interviews you're, you're conducting with like the Oliver Twins. Those are out there. Like you can go watch them. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we've started a we're kind of looking at ways that because we're not able to kind of reach our audience weekly in our physical location uh, at the moment, we looked at ways that we could share. Uh, kind of our mission and kind of video game heritage and video game preservation digitally so we did like any good uh video game fan did and we made a twitch channel um and (laughs) every week we uh, are now doing a heritage show that we've called love video games um and it's all about kind of uh sharing our love for video games and video game objects so what we do is we kind of split into three parts we have kind of one part where we just talk about the museum and kind of what exhibits we had. So I did a whole kind of little like micro lecture on um, Platform 14, which is this big um, exhibition we have in the museum where we have Donkey Kong, but 14 different ports of Donkey Kong. So from the original arcade version, but then we also have the Game Boy version from 94 or um, the NES version, which was pretty much a perfect port or the Coleco version, uh, which was made to be better than the Atari 26 version. You know, we have all these different ones that you can play. So I talked about that mm-hmm. for a bit. Um, and that's kind of the first section of the show. Then I have a middle section that is done by our resident video game academic expert, um, who's called Dr. James Newman. Um, if you are interested in any research around video game preservation and the kind of, you know, where, where that's going, definitely search for Dr. James Newman because he's kind of at the, at the cutting edge of that. Um, and he gives a like an explainer as uh, around video game heritage and video game preservation. So he did he's done one about you know defining what a video game is, and he did one about bit rot and about disc rot, as we spoke about earlier in this as well. Um, mm-hmm. And and then to kind of to kind of really bring the show together, and uh, I I then interview certain people that are around kind of video game preservation or kind of making games or basically kind of really important people kind of from video game history. Um, Mm -hmm. So I have interviewed the Oliver twins on there last week. um, And that was kind of, that was a really fun interview because they're, oh, they're so open. They're such brilliant kind of interview subjects, but because they're so uh, in sync, you know, identical twins, I decided to play the newlyweds game with them as well um, around like (laughs) their favorite video game and stuff. So, you know, we are, which one's your favorite video game? Can you both guess it? Um, Then that was a lot of fun, Um, you know, stuff like that. But then, uh, and then the, the last episode I did, I had, um, Mark Hardesty come on. So Mark Hardesty is, he started a games festival called Games Britannia uh, back in 2010, I believe, um, that is now kind of a continuing games festival run by Sheffield Hallam Uni. Um, but also he is a brilliant kind of Sheffield uh, video game historian. So he has literally written the book on Gremlin Graphics, the kind of the the, 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 the studio from Sheffield. Um, mm-hmm. So So yeah, so I was able to kind of actually interview Mark and chat to him about you know wh- how have you been able to kind of chat to all these people from gremlin and um also about kind of he writes a kind of special books about uh, he writes like a, a series of books around text adventure games as well and kind of interviewing the creators of those so it's kind of getting an insight into the preservationists into the historians um so yeah so it, it's only been going three weeks at the moment and it's it's a lot of fun um and it's i think it's a great way of getting the museum's kind of you know content out to as, as as many people as possible whilst everyone's still in their homes. Yeah, great stuff. Um, with that, I suppose we should wrap up so that you can leave and play games and eat mm. fruit and do <laughs> other normal human non-robot things. I need to go on my um, daily my daily re- um, daily exercise. I've not done that yet, so I need to go for a walk. I need to go on my daily Animal Crossing <laughs> looking to the Able Sisters shop. So yeah, <laughs> equally important. Um, where can people find you and all the lovely things that yourself and and the museum do? Uh, so you can find uh, me. I am on Twitter. Um, I think under at Chrono Cleon. But you can find the museum um, at the at NVM UK or the National Video Game Museum on other kind of channels like Instagram, Facebook, um, but NVM UK on Twitter specifically. And uh, yeah, like I said, if you do want to kind of checking in on some of our streams as well. We are doing weekly streams. We're doing uh, a weekly stream that, that Love Video Game Show I talked about, but also our education officer, Leah, um, is doing two weekly streams all about kind of 
learning through games and learning basics of game development and also learning playing some educational games as well or you know games that are actually good educational games not like the ones that we had to play at school um so <laughs> so so yeah so if you just kind of i'm sure if you can google as we usually we usually uh turn up at the top of google but yeah amazing which is always the place to be right at the very top of google right yeah. who wouldn't want to be there <laughs> um thank you very much for coming on and talking about all your lovely knowledge and what you do at the museum um maybe in f- five years time you can come back on again and tell us what what the hell is going on and all the updates amazing that'd be great yeah thank you so much ryan it's been an absolute pleasure i love just kind of i love to kind of talking about this stuff and you've kind of let me off a leash so that's great that's good yeah that's what that's what it's all about right thank you for listening everybody and we will catch you next time this podcast is supported by patreon you can support it at patreon.com slash toads anime to listen to the next episode before it releases Alternatively, spend it on something more important, like donating to a museum.